This evening, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, uh, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 1. I'll be reading there in just a moment. Let me say my heartfelt uh, thanks to this church and to Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. It has been such a blessing to have your partnership, and you have been a huge blessing to our church. Uh, your pastor has been a huge blessing to me, and I thank the Lord for the ministry that your church has had to many other congregations through uh, your pastor and through your uh, seminary, and look forward to opening God's Word. It's always good to be here, and look forward to seeing what God has in store for us this evening. All of us here tonight have something in common, and that's this. We all have life at this moment. We're breathing. However, we all know that our lives are quickly collapsing. They're going fast. They're speeding by. You know, the average life expectancy in the U.S. is 78.9 years. So take that number, and I like to compare it to a week of vacation. Compare a week of vacation with the average lifespan. Of course, uh, for me, one of the quickest weeks of the year is when our family goes to the beach uh, uh, for a week during the summer. Normally, as I said, it's just one week. We arrive on Saturday afternoon. We check in, and, and then we are supposed to check out at 10 a.m. the following Saturday. So imagine that each day of vacation is 11.2 years. So if you're here tonight and you're 11 and a half, okay, because you know kids, they don't like to just count years. They like, they want to take that half advantage of it. So if you're at 11 and a half here tonight, uh, for you in your lifespan, if you compare it to a week of vacation, it's already Sunday. So one day is already done. Okay, if you're in your mid-20s, it's Monday. If you're in your mid-30s, it's already Tuesday. Saturday's coming. Okay, if it's Wednesday for me, okay, and all of us know that the last part of the week always goes what? A whole lot quicker. That's why they call it you're over the what? You're over the hill. If you're 62, it's noon on Thursday, okay? If you're 72, it's noon on Friday, your last full day of vacation, okay? If you're 78, it's 9.45 a.m. on Saturday, <laughs> and you're about to check out, okay? If you're older than that, okay, you just check, checked out, and you went back to the beach, okay? And you're just <laughs> sitting there in the lawn chair. All of us know, okay, life goes incredibly fast. And we know even on vacation, we could get called home sooner. How many of us have been in the midst of a week of vacation, get a call and have to go home? Our lives are short. They fly by like a week of vacation. However, the more important question than just you could say how long you're going to live is what are you doing with your life right now? How are you spending it? 
What's the quality of your life? Are you wasting your life? Are you investing it? What's all this living for? All of us know uh, that life on this earth is broken and it's short. The book of Ecclesiastes, I believe, lays out for us how we are to live out this life. And uh, the title of this uh, message, Under the Sun, is Living It Up in a Broken Down World. Now, what do I mean by up? I mean two things. One, it would be live with a vertical Godward focus. That you understand that there is a God and he's in charge of all things. So you live it up with an eye toward heaven. But number two, that you live it with energy and joy, embracing every moment that God gives you on this planet as it comes from the Lord. This book of Ecclesiastes really opens up with an introduction to the author and then a poem about the brokenness of this world. That's the first part of Ecclesiastes chapter one. We learn very quickly that life is elusive. It's like the wind. It's spoiled by death. All of us have a date with death. There is monotony. It just, it's cyclical, just same old, same old. There's nothing new under the sun as you hear in that poem. And there's no remembrance. It's like we live and then we're forgotten. No doubt the response when you read that first section of Ecclesiastes is this, can someone figure this living thing out? How am I supposed to live in this broken down world under the sun? Enter the preacher, as he is called, who I personally believe was Solomon. And he makes this search. And I'd like to read you that search. It's an extended portion of scripture. And uh, I'm not going to uh, exegete every word. We don't have time to do that. But I just want you to see the whole story. So I'm going to read the last part of chapter one and all of chapter two. So follow along with me. I'll begin in verse 12 of chapter uh, one. It says this, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were in Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine 
my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made me gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who were before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and of the treasure of the kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delights of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and behold, uh, and, and the toil that I expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can a man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there was more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have uh, been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and striving after wind. I hated all my toil for which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. And then he says this, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting 
only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. Will you pray with me? Father, I need your help. I need your spirit to once again do what you have done many times in this auditorium. I ask that you would illuminate our eyes and our hearts and help us to live eternal lives. Use this message for your glory's sake in Jesus' name. Amen. A while back, uh, the toilet on the main level of our house started gargling. Any of you who are aware of that particular problem know that that indicates that you have a septic tank problem. And that normally is not a cheap problem, but it's also a very urgent problem, okay? When the plumbing stops, everything stops normally at the house, okay? However, when that problem came, I knew that it was outside my pay grade, okay? I'm a pastor. My tools are books. uh, And I needed an expert to come and solve my problem. I needed him to investigate it and offer me a solution. You know what? Before long, as you and I live life on this planet, you'll discover that this understanding this life is above your pave grade. It is elusive. Something is not right. Whether it's the death of a loved one, whether it's a sickness that you have, maybe it's even a success that you have had at work that you've yearned for for a long time and then it just never satisfies. Thankfully, God records for us one man's investigation of this problem. The problem he lays out, you could say, is in verse one and two of the chapter. It says in that those two verses, right at the outset of Ecclesiastes, he says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all his toil at which he toils under the sun. He says, what, what, what's left over? What counts? What's to gain of all of this life that I'm living? In our text, Solomon searches out the problem and he offers, I believe, spiritual insight for you and I. This is a written biography of really how to live your life. What I think you'll see in this text is this, that true joy under the sun where we live is not as far off as you think. How do I get there? How do I find this? Well, our text covers a lot of ground. I want you to see some simple truths that Solomon shares in this text. The first thing I want you to see is this. This isn't going to be a walk in the park, okay? This is gonna be hard. Solomon begins by telling us, this is a great, this is a difficult task. After he identifies himself as the king of Jerusalem, he tells of his determination to search out life. And he uses the phrase, and you'll you'll notice it a number of times, my heart. And that just indicates his whole person. He's putting his entire self into this investigation. He also says that he sought to seek and to search all of these things. It's interesting that word even search there is the same Hebrew word used for the spies. 
when they were entering into the land of Canaan. They were going to search it out. He says, I gave my whole person, you could say, to search out life. The scope of Solomon's search, he says, is under heaven. That's a synonym for another phrase that shows up often in the book of Ecclesiastes is under the sun. And that's the realm that you and I live in. That's our fishbowl. That's where our life takes place, under the sun. He says, I want to look, I'm going to give my heart, my energy to search out everything under the sun. And I want to find out what's left over in this life. How do you find meaning, purpose, satisfaction, joy in this life? That's a perennial question. A while back, I was reading a biography on Napoleon. Before he ever came to power, he entered an essay into a contest answering this important question. What are the most important truths and feelings for men to learn to be happy? So Napoleon took six months to work on this particular essay. As a result, he got very low marks on what he got. In fact, years later, Talleyrand found his particular uh, uh, essay on this, and he gave it to Napoleon. Napoleon picked it up, read it, and he said this, this author deserves to be whipped, and he threw it into the fire, okay? Humans have always desired happiness, success. Solomon, who is tasked with this, he says all men are kind of tasked with this, he says in One of the opening verses of our text, he labels the task an unhappy business that God has given to us. Listen to what it says again in verse 13 of our text for chapter one. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. For all of us who are sons of Adam, of Adam. And this, of course, points us back to the garden. All of us who are, have our roots there, which is all of us. We have been given this unhappy business of navigating. In fact, this is the first time in the book of Ecclesiastes that God has mentioned in the, in the book. And it says, God has given you this unhappy business to navigate. Man has been subjected to this business all because of the fall. So what will Solomon do? Solomon now is going to leverage his wisdom. And all of us know he was given great wisdom. He is going to leverage all of his wisdom to kind of seek, what's this life about? How am I supposed to live it? Well, he gives a quick summary right here in verse 14. He says this, I have seen that everything done under the sun, and behold, it is all vanity in striving after wind. Many of you know uh, that word is the word havel, which means in many ways breath or elusive. There's a lot of suggested uh, ways of describing this. I like what a Detroit professor, uh, uh, Dr. McCabe, I believe it is, said that it is frustratingly enigmatic. Life is frustratingly enigmatic. It's an anomaly. It's an enigma. You're trying to just work. How do I figure this all out? 
It's like chasing the wind. And then he adds this little proverb. Look what it says in verse 15. He says this, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. And, and basically he says, you know what this life is like, this world is like? It's like a, it's like a bent level. Those of you who do building, a bent level is like worthless. It's frustrating trying to build your life off a bent level. And then he says this, it's like uh, what is lacking cannot be counted. I remember a few years ago, we went to a vacation at my parents' house. And one of the things they do is they do a puzzle during the week of vacation. And over the course of that week, uh, different pieces of the puzzle started falling on the floor and their uh, Springer Spaniel started to eat them. So when we got all the pieces put in there that we had, there were still pieces missing. You know what? Life, you never get the full picture. It's like something's missing. Something's lacking. I can't figure it all out. That's when Solomon says here, it doesn't add up. So Solomon begins to tackle this problem of life. He knows the world's broken and you and I have no problem seeing that every day of our lives. You just turn on the news today. And you just read the stories and you'll see how our world is physically, mentally, politically, emotionally, economically broken. It's the world you and I live in and it plays out every week of our lives. So Solomon at the beginning just says, this isn't going to be a walk in the park. But then he leads us to a second truth and it's this. You won't find the answer in human wisdom. Solomon begins this search of life with his area of expertise, wisdom. Of course, we know the story of he was given wisdom by God. And look what he says in verses 16 and 17. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were in Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. What it, what it basically says here is that God gave this man incredible wisdom, but he was saying that human wisdom only goes so far. He knew wisdom, but he didn't just know wisdom. He knew its opponent, folly. You know, if you're really going to study a certain subject, you ought to study that subject but oftentimes you need to study its opposite. If you study light, study darkness. Solomon said, I studied it all. I looked at all the different angles. And what does he conclude? That wisdom is insufficient in understanding this life. Look what he says at the end of verse 17. He says, I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. It's like chasing the wind. It's elusive. It's frustrating. And then he adds this little proverb. Look what he says at the end of, end of verse, I mean, in verse 18. He says this, for in much wisdom, as you gain wisdom, there is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases what? Sorrow. Let me tell you something, the more you know, the more wisdom you gain, the more frustrating sometimes it gets and the more sorrow that's there. 
All of you who are adults and who are parents, you love seeing your kids enjoying life and, and seeing all the greatness of this life under the sun. But there are some things that you're like, I'm not going to tell them yet. Because I don't want to burst their bubble because it's broken. And because the more wisdom you gain, the more you see how broken life is and more elusive life appears. I remember reading R.C. Sproul's The Consequence of Ideas, and he just investigates all these philosophers who looked at all the different angles of life, and they were probably perceived in their age to have all the wisdom, but as you look at all the different streets that they tried to take, guess what they all were? They were all dead-end streets. Knowledge spoils things. Example, hot dogs. You better not tell me what's in a hot dog. Why? Because when I go to an Atlanta Braves game, okay, I like to eat hot dogs, okay? But I have, I've particularly not wanted my knowledge. I've, I've heard people say what's in them is not good, but don't tell me, okay? Because more wisdom produces more what? More sorrow, okay? And if you're looking for life and meaning and wisdom and knowledge, you are going to, you're going to miss it. So you won't find the answer in human wisdom, but number two, you won't find the answer in self-indulgence. Solomon tests life by engaging in all of these areas of self-indulgence. He would, he would, he would have done what we could say is he lived it up horizontally in this life. He seems to have thrown a party for a time with his, I mean, he, he could throw a party and, and look what it says in verses one and two of chapter two. I said in my heart, go to now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? You know what he did? He surrounded himself, no doubt, with laughter. But what was, and fun, I mean, life is fun, but his assessment was, it's frustratingly enigmatic. What's the use? He sampled the best wines of his day. Look what it says in verse three. He said this, he said, I searched in my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart was still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of men to do under heaven during the days of their life. What we find here is this. Solomon no doubt had access to the greatest vintage of his day. No doubt many of you have sampled some of the best food and the best drinks this world has to offer. Solomon seems as he's saying this, that he was careful not to overdo it, wisdom, but he says there's no lasting joy. You're still going to be thirsty. You're still going to be hungry for more. He moves on to accomplishments, okay? He worked on his home, what we believe, for 13 years. He built gardens, parks, orchards. In fact, I think just a, a while back, they were excavating some pools that they believe were getting excavated outside of Bethlehem that could have been some that Solomon actually had built. 
He had wealth and herds, silver, gold, treasures. He investigated the arts. I mean, he was no doubt into all of that. He had the best musicians of his day. I mean, you think about what we have when it comes to us being able to try that out. You and I have at our fingertips, if you're on Spotify or Apple Music, you have art. You could, I mean, more than Solomon would have ever had advantage of. But you know what a lot of us do? We can't find a song to listen to sometimes. Same, oh, is there a new something, this? He had everything. He indulged in sex. There's a reference here to concubines. We often think that sex will bring satisfaction, but it's temporary. I mean, when you think of people who have had all the accomplishments that this world has to offer, there's probably one uh, that comes to mind. His name's Tom Brady. Tom Brady in 2005, okay, 2005, conducted an interview on 60 Minutes after winning his third Super Bowl, okay? They asked him this question. What effect has it had on you? This is how Tom Brady responds. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. I think, God, there's gotta be more than this. I mean. This can't be all that it's cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? When they asked him this question, what's what's the answer, Tom? He responded, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. I love playing football. I love being a quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. I know, that all, I know what ultimately makes me happy are family and friends and positive relationships with great people. I think I get more out of that than anything else. That was him at three Super Bowls. We know he has seven Super Bowl rings. He's tried it all, but can you, can you, hear, can you hear it in his voice? It doesn't. It's not there. Solomon tried, but at the end, what does he say? Go go to the text again, verse nine through 11. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He says, it's all vanity. Yes, there's pleasure. You, all of us, there's pleasure in it. But it's elusive. It's temporary. There's got to be something more. And so he continues his search. 
He stops here and he says this. This is the third point or fourth point if you're keeping all this. So wisdom is better, but it's still not the answer. You could go the way of folly, but he's saying, he's stopping here and saying, let me just say, wisdom is a better way to go, but it's still not the answer. And so he goes back to it and he shows you how wisdom, being a wise person, is better than being a fool. Look what he says in verse 13. He says this, then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise man has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. He basically says, okay, it's much better to be wise in the midst of all of this. Of course, the book of Proverbs shows us how wisdom, if you will follow it, works a whole lot better for you. Okay, It's like the difference between light and darkness. But then he shows the great equalizer between all people. And that's this, we're all gonna die. He ends verse 14 by saying this, yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. And then he reiterates it at the end of verse 16. Look at the last phrase of verse 16, how the wise dies just like the fool. He basically says, it doesn't matter how rich you are, how wise you are, how popular you are, death still comes knocking at the door of all of us. I mean, it's interesting. I didn't know this, but Google keeps track of, I mean, not everybody, but you can go like to recent deaths and it'll have people who died yesterday and all the people that were, you could say, popular and more known. Death is happening all the time. Remember a while back pulling out of a parking lot with my son after baseball practice and we're pulling out and there's a little memorial on the back of the, the car. And the memorial was for a kid who was born the same year as my 13-year-old son. I was like, death's coming. It's quick. You don't know when it's going to happen. I remember talking to a 95-year-old widow in our church. She said, my husband and I, we were looking forward to his retirement and he retired. And within a few weeks of his retirement, God took him. And now she's 95 and life is elusive. Life is quick. And Solomon says, man, this life is, is frustrating. The answer is not in just wisdom. It's not just in self-indulgence. Now, wisdom is better than being a fool, but it's still not the answer because death is coming at all of us. He revisits the topic that he talks about in the poem right before that, how all of us are going to be forgotten. This kind of all led him to despair. Look what he says in verse 17. He says this, so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and striving after wind. And then he, he, he continues to go back to that phrase, vanity, vanity, vanity. It's frustratingly enigmatic. And then he kind of takes his whole of life, all of his labor, and he shows us this. You won't find the answer in all your labor, in your work. 
he looks at all the toil that he had done, all of his life's work, and he realized that all of it would be left to what? Another. And who knows if that other person that was going to get everything that he had amassed was going to be a fool. And he says, this is vanity. He says this in verse 18 and 19. He says, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I have toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. And then he repeats the question that he started it all out with. Remember in chapter one, verse three, it's an echo, it's echoed in verse 22 of chapter two. He says this, what has a man of all the toil and striving of heart for which he toils beneath the sun? What, what's the use? If you're looking for true happiness, satisfaction, and meaning in your endeavors, there are tons of dead-end streets. So what? It appears as if joy, meaning in life, is elusive. Does Solomon just leave us there? All right, be warmed and filled. Head out, have a great week. Does he leave us there? No. Understanding all of that, Solomon tells us what we are to do. And going back to my main truth, true joy under the sun is not as far off as you think it is. You remember the Apostle Paul when he was speaking to the Athenians? He said, God is not far from every one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our what? And have our being. Solomon now ends with what I call is a nothing better statement. These come up often, and it's good to mark them in the book of Ecclesiastes. There is nothing better. This is the first of many. Listen to what he says in verse 24. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of who? It's from the hand of God. In fact, we already saw that God gave us the, this unhappy business of navigating life. But here it says that there is nothing better for you and I than to go through the milieu of life, all the ups and downs. And we are to find, okay, we are to find through those hard, monotonous events of life, we are to find enjoyment from the hand of God. I am to embrace this life of just the common things I do, eating lunch with Dr. Doran, traveling on an airplane with my wife here, all the events of this life that's fleeting, that's broken, that's hard. In the good times, I am to embrace this life of eating, drinking, and finding enjoyment. What is the difference for Solomon? Here it is. 
he saw everything from the hand of God. Who was in his picture? God was in his picture. He didn't simply see life under the sun. He knew that God had given the unhappy business, but there was a purpose in it. You can't simply live life under the sun. There has got to be an above the sun, an eye that's seen everything that comes in life. Nothing comes apart from him. You can't find any enjoyment apart from him. True enjoyment. That's what it says in verse 25. He says this, for apart from him, him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? It is having God in our picture and his blessing on us that gives us meaning. In fact, those who are, and we're gonna get to this, those who are pleasing to God are given three items. Notice what it says in verse 26. For to the one who pleases him, God has given, here it is, wisdom, knowledge, and joy. So he gives you the ability to enjoy our things, but to the sinner, he only gives them the labor of vanity. Look what it says at the end of verse 26. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity in striving after wind. Yes, in life, there are temporal pleasures, even for the sinner for a time. But in the end, what is everyone laying, all the sinners laying up for? Ultimately, they're laying up for God's children. Because what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? The meek shall inherit the what? The earth. We will inherit it. Life is vanity, but how does God allow us to break through and enjoy this life? And that brings me to this last little question here. How does a sinner like you and me who are subjected to this unhappy business, how does a sinner please God? Because did you notice in the text it says, but to the one who pleases God, he has given this. Let me tell you, you can't please God. None of you can in and of yourself. You displeased him. You're a descendant of Adam. You, you, you were one of the ones who threw the monkey wrench in. He sent his son of his own essence, God. And you know what he did? Listen to Matthew 3, verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said about Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am what? Well pleased. He is well pleased with his son. And as we know, as we sing about beautifully all during the preparation to my message, we know that God's beloved son who fully pleased the father, what did he do? He became our sinless substitute. He died for us. And as a result of that, you and I were credited with Christ's righteousness. So when he sees us and we have been justified, 
We are being sanctified. We will be glorified. But the idea is that you and I are now pleasing in his sight. But to the one who, as the text says, but to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting. Jesus died in our place. And if you receive Jesus, you become pleasing. And he gives you the ability to enjoy this life. In fact, remember what he offered? He says, I came not just to give life, but I came to give it more what? Abundantly. What that means is this, that on a normal Friday night, I can go home after a hard week. I can, if I need to tinker around the lawn and mow or clean the hedges or whatever, I can rejoice. Yeah, it's not going to give me all the pleasure, but I can enjoy doing some yard work. We order pizza on Friday night. I can enjoy Marco's pizza with my family, even though it may not be the best pizza, but it's good. It's something I enjoy. I can enjoy the time with my family. Why? Because you know what? This life is not all there is. There is an eye above the sun. God has intersected it and I have come to know him and I have become pleasing in sight through the works of his son. And now I can enjoy this life. Not that we do everything right, but I have a purpose in life. I can, as I said at the beginning, I can live it up in a broken down world. How do I live it up? One, I live seeking those things which are above, not on things that are on earth. But I can also live this life with joy and vigor, embracing each moment as from the hand of God. Tim Keller, many of you are familiar with, who passed away just a number of uh, weeks ago. When he was diagnosed with cancer and knew that his death was pending, he was living out in many ways what the book of Ecclesiastes says. He wrote an article in The Atlantic, and I'd like to read an excerpt of just the last part of that article that just kind of paints the picture of living life understanding that this life doesn't do anything to satisfy but being heavenly minded. Listen to what he says. He says, to our surprise and encouragement, Kathy and I have discovered that the less we attempt to make this world into a heaven, the more we are able to enjoy it. No longer are we burdening it with the demands impossible for it to fulfill. We have found that the simplest things, from sun on the water and flowers in the vase to our own embraces, sex and conversation bring more joy than ever. This has taken us by surprise. This change was not an overnight revolution. As God's reality dawns more on my heart, slowly and painfully and through many tears, the simplest pleasures of this world have become sources of daily happiness. It is only as I have become, for a lack of better term, more heavenly minded that I can see the material world for the astonishing good divine gift that it is. I can, see, can sincerely say without sentimentality or exaggeration that I have never been happier in my life, that I have never had more days filled with comfort, but it is equally true that I have never had so many days of grief. 
One of our dearest friends lost her husband to cancer six years ago. Even now, she says, it might seem fine, and then out of nowhere, some reminder or thought will sideswipe her and cripple her with sorrow. Yes, but I have come to be grateful for those sideswipes because they remind me to reorient myself to the convictions of my head and the processes of my heart. When I take time to remember how to deal with my fears and savor my joys, the consolations are stronger and sweeter than ever. Inner City Baptist Church, we are in a broken world, but because of Jesus Christ, you and I can live under the sun and we can live it up with a heavenly mindset, but also rejoicing in the business that God has given knowing that he has solved it all, and one day he will rescue us and bring us home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the wisdom that you gave Solomon many years ago. We thank you for so many of us that you have awakened us to your son and have allowed us to see in many ways, the brokenness of this world, but you've also allowed us to see an eternal perspective. And Lord, as we live this life in this broken world, would you help us not to rely on simply wisdom and our labor, but Lord, help us to see beyond that. Help us to see that you are sovereign over all things. Help us to be people that live with heavenly wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.